custom, will you please, if you're able and willing, please stand and honor the reading of God's inerrant and infallible word. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, which can be found on page 977 of your pew Bible. And I encourage you to turn there because a little bit later I'm going to ask for um, a class participation and you will need to be there um, for that. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may, be, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In December of 2022, just last year, our good friends in Memphis, Ben and Whitney Winkler, got the phone call. And despite their preparation and their planning, it actually caught them off guard. It wasn't that they had forgotten, and it was actually they were very much anticipating it. But they weren't as ready as they thought they were. And haven't we done that before? Haven't you done all the things that you needed to do to be prepared to do something, and then you realize you forget the little things that are quite important? Because they received this phone call, and the voice on the other side said to them, a baby is waiting for you in the hospital. They received a call, and they hadn't even realized, we don't have a car seat to get this baby home. We haven't finished the room where she's going to sleep. We haven't done everything we wanted to do before we invited this baby into our home. But despite all of that, Ben and Whitney knew that they had the one thing they needed in abundance for this child, the love of Jesus Christ. They had entered the foster care system desiring to foster a child because they felt called to share the love of Jesus. They already had three children of their own. They didn't know just how they were going to do it. They both worked full time. Ben is a pastor at Redeemer in Memphis. Whitney has started up her own business in, as an artist, which meant, means she has to travel over the weekends. Their kids are involved at schools. They play sports. They're involved at the church. They've had to do major house repairs. The list goes on and on and on of all the things that will never, ever stop. But they felt called to share the love of Jesus with a child that had been deserted and abandoned and unwanted. And when they received that call, they knew 
It doesn't matter the chaos that is in our lives right now. This is what God is calling us to do because we must share the love that he has first given us. For almost a year, the Winkler family has no longer just been five, but been six. Over that past year, they have found out a lot about Holly. She was born in a toilet. She was born with hepatitis C. She was dropped off at the hospital, and her mother left and never looked back. But despite all of that, Holly is beautiful. Holly loves Jess. And Holly is a part of the Winkler family. And we hope that someday soon that she will be adopted into this family. So when she's able to speak, she will be able to call Whitney her mother and Ben her father. I know many in this church have either been adopted or have adopted. There is a reason that in the scriptures, this imagery of adoption is so vibrant because it's a picture of the love of Jesus. This is where Paul began. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 5 of chapter 1, In Him He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. In Him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Remember that we were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth, strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope in the world without God. And this is what he says in chapter 2, 17 to 19. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is what Paul is trying to get to sink into our brains. This is what he's trying to plant into our hearts. That the God who created the entire universe... has loved you so much that he has brought you into his house through the adoption of the blood of Jesus. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never turn his back on you and walk away. He is our Father. We only understand what a good father looks like because God has revealed himself to us in Christ. And as a loving father, he has showed us immeasurably his love for us. And not only his love, but his mercy and his grace. And he lavishes it upon us. The church According to the riches of his grace, he has given us all things in Christ 
He has showered us according to the riches of His glory because He is our Father. And so Paul does, in verse 14 of chapter 3, he does exactly what Jesus taught His disciples to do. He got on His knees and He prayed to God as Father. This is what this passage is. It is an intercessory prayer by Paul for the church. And he desires the church to know three things about God as our Father. He wants the church to know that we, he want, he's praying for the church that we may have power, that we may have perception, and that we may have it plenteously. He prays that we may have power. In verse 14, Paul says, for this reason, and if you don't know where we've been before, this is actually jumping all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 3, where Paul said, for this reason. And as I said last week, we get to the end of chapter 1, and the Holy Spirit gave a break check to Paul to speak of the mystery of the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ. But here, Paul is saying, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father. He's actually pointing all the way back to the end of chapter 2. In verses 19 to 22, this is what he wrote to the church in Ephesians. So then you, speaking to Gentiles in the church, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for the God, for God, by the Spirit. Paul has just informed the church he's began a new building phase, and he didn't even need a capital campaign. God has set into motion that something that he's been preparing since before the world began, that his gospel would include the bringing in of the Gentiles, that the gospel would be proclaimed, and that the redemption of Jesus' blood was big enough for all of mankind. You see, the gospel is drawing the nations to the Messiah. This is what Israel has been promised since the very beginning, from the time of Abraham through the prophets, this age to come has now dawned in Christ. It was the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things into Christ. In Him, the old age has gone and the new age has come according to the riches of His glory. And we've already seen his riches. In, verse, in chapter 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. In verse 17 to 18 of chapter 1, when Paul first reveals this prayer for this people, that God our, our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you've been called, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance for the saints. 
We see this in chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us. You might not know this, but as I stand up in the pulpit, I can see everything that you're doing. I can see when you talk to your neighbor. I can see when you're trying to drink that cup of coffee. I can't see Spence when he spills his coffee, but I, I, I try to catch him. I even see you while you're sleeping. No one's there yet. This is what Paul is saying. Our God who sees you even better than I see you from up here has lavished his grace upon you because he loves you. Because he is our Father. This is what Paul wants the church to see. That through his spirit, he is ours. He is our Father. In spite of our sin, in spite of our weakness, in spite of our shame, our regret, our defiance, God wants us to see and to be strengthened by the power of the Spirit in our inner being. And this takes power. Power in the New Testament might not be what you first think of when you hear of power. I always think of the power team. You might know of the group of men who were evangelists in the 80s and 90s who were presumably strung out on steroids and would incorporate their preaching while they performed great feats of strength. These men would come out and rip a telephone book in half. I know a lot of you children might not know what a telephone book is, but it's a lot of papers put together and ripping a great book. They would put this block of ice that's the size of a car and place it on the chest of one of the men and then break it with a sledgehammer. And you know what they said? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's not the type of power we're talking about here. Paul is speaking about the power of the Spirit. This is resurrection power. This is the power to bring that which is dead to life. That God may give us resurrection power, new life in Christ. And this isn't a new work. God isn't saying, I pray for the church that they now might make room for Christ to live in their hearts. He's saying, this is what the church already has. May you see this power that is living inside of you by the Spirit. Don't you see? Through faith, God has poured his spirit upon us. This is what he promised in Ezekiel 36. He promised to give us a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Paul is saying to the church, see what God has done for you in Christ. And all of this is according to the riches of his grace and according to the riches of his glory. And hear this, it's not out of his riches that he blesses us. It's according to the riches of his glory that he blesses us. 
A rich man can give out of his riches. A rich man can give $10 or $100. Every penny will be out of his riches. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Because if a man is worth a million dollars and gives according to his million dollars, that is going to be vastly more than someone who's worth $100,000. Our Father, who is the King of everything, He has named everybody, has given according to His riches. He gives us Christ. He's given us Christ. There's nothing more valuable that He could give us. Can you even think of something else that we might need other than God himself? We have been raised by the power of the Spirit. He's brought our dead bones back to life through faith. Our inner being, our hearts, the center of everything that we are. Paul is praying that the church might realize what God has already done for them. That God has been faithful to them, even though they have not been faithful. That he has provided for their every need. That he has given himself, because the Spirit dwells within us. Christ also dwells within us. This is what he's praying for this church, and you better believe this is what I'm praying for you. That the Spirit of God might give us the power to see Christ in us, the hope of glory. That you might understand what he's truly doing inside of you to mold you, to bend you by the Spirit of God. That you might be strengthened out of the truth that you might be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. This is what Paul is praying for his people, that they might have power. But he doesn't just want them to have the power of the Spirit living inside of them. He also prays that they might have perception in verses 17 to 19, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That you may know how deep the Father's love is for us. Now, isn't this great? Paul prays that we might comprehend that which surpasses knowledge. But don't you see, he's already given us a glimpse of what this love looks like. This great breadth or width. He's already gathered Jews and Gentiles from the ends of the earth, breaking down the hostility towards one another. He's brought them together, not just locally, but ethically and ethnically. People who as far as apart as they possibly could be, he has brought them together in Christ. How long from before the foundations of the world was laid, and it will continue 
until he completes the work that he began in us. How high is it? The church is being built together. We are being raised into the heavens and we are being seated with him on the throne of glory. How deep? So deep that Paul can say, I am the least of the saints. I was hell bound for damnation and he reached down with his grace and he saved me. Every year when we go on our canoe trip, and unfortunately it was canceled this past year, we always get to the end of this eight-mile canoe trip, and there's this big bluff that, we, that I would say all of us jump on, but some of us jump off of. It's probably 25, maybe 30 feet. And it drops into this landing zone, and so the first thing I do as, you know, I guess I'm the leader of the group, I, I go over and I peer down into the water to see if I can see the bottom. And I still haven't been able to see it. And so what I do is I take my paddle and I stick it down in the water. Well, one year I stuck my paddle down in the water and I hit the bottom. And so we made everyone who dared to jump off, you have to jump off with a life vest so that you don't go all the way down and hit the bottom. But there's been other years where I reach my paddle down and I actually can't reach it. And so I have to get, I have to get out of the boat or get on my kayak, go all the way down just to see how deep it is. And so we can jump off, into the, off this bluff, into this water. And what Paul is saying is it doesn't matter from, high how, from how high you jump, you will never touch the bottom of the love of Jesus. Paul is wanting us to hear how much God loves us in Jesus, despite our sin and weaknesses. For God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what he wants us to perceive. Paul is saying, I want you to know this. This love that surpasses everything. Anything that you can think of. Anything that you can get your mind to comprehend. It goes farther than that. How do we grasp that he chose us before the foundation of the world? That in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. It's so interesting. So often when we speak about predestination, one of the first questions we, we, we hear is, how could a loving God do that? How could a loving God be that way? But don't you see the irony? This is exactly the point the scriptures are trying to make. What the scriptures teach is that it is in fact because of God's great love for us that he predestined us for redemption. It's not in spite of his love. It's because of his love. Because only he can see just how bad our hearts are. Only he can see that our sins are far worse than we can ever imagine. Only he can see how hard our hearts have truly become against him and his word. How unholy, how unjust, how unrighteous we really are. Only he can see just how much we actually think we can believe that we can save ourselves. 
but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. Church, by grace you have been saved. This is what Paul wants us to perceive. The deep, deep love of Jesus. Paul prays that we might have power. Paul prays that we might perceive. And Paul prays that we might have plenteously. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now we must see a connection here. As I said, Paul in this verse 14 is reaching back into the end of chapter 2. And this is what Paul says at the very last verse of chapter 2. God is building a church into a dwelling place. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And this is what he says here. That God may grant you, grant you the strength with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. This is an incredible connection. I almost had our Old Testament reading be 1 Kings chapter 8. And I didn't because it was 65 verses. But in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon has built the temple that God told him to build. And he brings the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And this is what it says in chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house with the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And so Solomon then turns and blesses the entire assembly of Israel. And in verse 15 he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with, the mouth, with his mouth to David my father. And then he recounts the great mystery, the great redemptive history of all of Israel, how God has been faithful to his covenant promises. It's almost as if Paul is taking 1 Kings and applying it here in, in chapter 3. Just as Solomon prays, for the people, that they might be enriched with the presence of God, so too Paul is praying that the people might be filled with the glory of Christ. Because this is what we hear, Solomon. This is how he ends his prayer when he gives the people the benediction. In verses 57 to 61, The Lord our God be with us, as he is with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline his heart, our, that we might incline our hearts to him, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, with which I have ple pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, that there is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be holy and true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments at this day. This is what Paul is praying for the church. This is why he's bowing his knee to the church. Why does he pray this? 
Well, if you have your Bibles open to Ephesians, I want you to read with me the first three verses of chapter 4. This is where we're going next week in the weeks to come. Why does Paul pray for this, for this church? Because this is what Paul's about to say. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Do you catch that language from 1 Kings 8 to Ephesians 4? That we might walk according to his statutes and keep his commandments, that we might walk in a manner worthy of calling to which we've been called? The only way to do what he's getting ready to ask us to do is that we understand the love of Christ. We can't do this. From chapter 4 to chapter 6, he's going to ask us, the church, to do something. And what Paul is saying is, you cannot do this on your own. You must need the Spirit of God living and strengthening you with his power. Christ must abound in your hearts. We must be rooted and grounded in love. And this all is a gift of God's grace upon his people. The only way, the only way that we can be strengthened is through the mighty power of God himself. The only way we can be faithful is through the mighty power of God himself. Paul wants the church to see where they're getting ready to go. And so he reminds them of what God has already done for them in Christ. That the God of all creation, in his love, adopted them. He did not get a call and was surprised by it. He actually sought out his people and saved them from themselves. From heaven he came and sought us. We who were born not in a toilet, but born in death and sin. And this is why Paul, he, he doesn't, as Solomon does, he doesn't end with a benediction, but he ends with a doxology. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. We have a monthly prayer meeting on Sunday. We have every, once a month on a Sunday, we have a prayer meeting. This is how we end every prayer meeting. That the God of all creation, who does more than we could even imagine or ask, even more than we give him credit for. That he might give us strength through Christ to be faithful, to see and comprehend the great love that he has for us in Christ. That we might be a church solely founded upon what Christ has done for us by his grace. So I talked about class participation. I want to ask that we stand and read verse 20 and 21 together. 
as a doxology of praise for what Christ has done for us. Ephesians 4, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to ask that you remain standing and now turn in your Trinity hymnals. To page 846, as we confess the Nicene Creed. Church, what do you believe? We believe in one God and Father. You may be seated. <clears throat> 